You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Hello one and all, this is Chance Solem Pfeiffer And you're listening to a new Be Real Typically, of course, we are your genre-hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. But today, a director interview. First one in a long time. Could I still do these? I give it a sort of. Uh, But it's for a movie that I think you could well enjoy. It's called uh, Brian and Charles, a comedy, I think it's safe to say, out now theatrically from Focus Features. And uh, you're about to hear me have a chat with the film's director, Jim Archer. For a little background, uh, this is the story of two beings, let's call them beings, Brian and Charles. The former, Brian, is like a lonesome, kooky inventor type. He lives alone in a cottage in the uh, sort of austere Welsh countryside. Um, And Brian is played by English comedian David Earle, with a big beard and a smoky Cockney accent and giant glasses, and a very strange... Um, kind of wool-looking half hoodie um, that cements the character. <laughs> and I wouldn't say Brian has a ton going on, but he likes to invent things, um, sort of absurd contraptions. And then uh, one day, in his, in his inspiration and in his loneliness, he makes a robot called Charles, who sort of talks like if uh, John Gielgud did text-to-speech translation. Um, but the voice is is only half of what makes Charles funny and interesting. Um, He has a mannequin head that sort of looks like Jim Broadbent with one eye missing. His torso is a washing machine jammed into what looks like a 3XL button-down. And his legs are very clearly human legs. (laughs) Not in the story, but just... uh, for you as an audience, I believe you'll be able to tell that it is human locomotion. But the way Charles moves really adds to uh, the character and sort of the very pleasant uncanny valley that this movie exists in with trying to create uh, humanoid-ish technology. Um, but that's part of the fun is you get to watch this this robot explore life alongside Brian, um, one one not knowing the world very well because he's a shut-in, and the other um, having just been born, so to speak. There's a lot they have to experience out in the Welsh countryside. Nature, love, learning to stand up to bullies. Um, oh, but the reason I bring up those human legs is to tell you um, that Charles is operated by Chris Hayward, who uh, co-wrote the script with David Earl, and, and Brian and Charles goes back to a gag that they used to improvise on stage and radio and it was a short film in 2017 which you can find on youtube in its entirety uh and now it's a 90 minute feature and it is a movie i like um especially once charles starts to evolve and and take on a rebellious rebellious streak um becoming more artificially intelligent uh it really finds its comedy stride around that time um And you'll hear in the interview that I actually kind of burned my big description of the film um, because Jim kind of brought it up, which is that I think Brian and Charles is a bit like a live action Aardman piece, um, referring, of course, to like Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run and all those 
Nick Park joints, if you can imagine those worlds um, made real, it's a bit like that. But Jim also has some thoughts on why he tried to make Brian and Charles look like a documentary, uh, which leaves its own feelings of tension and reality on the film that are perhaps not quite so Ardman-esque. We'll get into it. I should tell you before we drop in that Be Real is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can find such programs as Bingeworthy, The Discourse, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, and Yellowstoners just had Kelly Riley? That's cool. Um... You can find the Playlist Podcast Network wherever you get your shows. Uh, like and subscribe. We always appreciate a, a nice rating. Um, so yeah, Jim Archer. Uh, a, a relatively young director. This is his first feature, but he's made uh, several acclaimed short films in the UK, including the uh, 2017 version of Brian and Charles that I mentioned. And he's made um, a lot of British TV in pretty short order. Um, he directed the second season of Young Offenders, and his series uh, Big Boys is airing currently on Channel 4 in the UK. I found him to be a thoughtful man who is pretty candid about directing fake robots. Let's do it. My name's Brian. This is my infamous inventions pantry. It's actually a cow shed. Things went a bit topsy-turvy in my life, and I was very alone. Ah, fiddlesticks. That's when I just started making stuff. Any little idea I had, I just made. It's an egg bell, pinecone bag, flying cuckoo cock. So whenever anyone in the village wants to know the time, they can look up in the air and I'll be there. They don't always work, and the stuff I build isn't for everyone. Well, I'm impressed. Thanks. My new project, I'm building a robot. Didn't look too bad, does he? I wonder what he'll do when I turn him on. You'd like me to give you a name? Tony? Charles? Charles. <laughs> Charles? Charles. You like that name, do you? Hello, Brian. Hello, Charles. It's lovely to meet you. This is incredibly overwhelming. Imagine me and you. I do. I want to just ask at the front um, about kind of directing Charles and if there are any like specific um tricks or challenges because i know you know he's probably what seven feet tall and chris can't see super well inside there what's that like yeah that's right yeah it's it's um it's a challenge but also like but also kind of really easy like you you get you sort of direct him in a way that you should never really direct any actors it's like very (laughs) it's kind of very specific and like oh can chris can you stand up here or can you like put your foot there or like can you face your head this way because like obviously you never give those kind of like specifics to i like people to sort of like improvise and just feel like they can just move around the space right Which chris can do like that's always fun to surprise you but like also if he does go somewhere he might just smash into a light so like sure we have to sort of give him some parameters i mean it's fun when it's like in the outside and then and david can just play with him and guide him and stuff like that mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, one of the best things about it is that you only ever have to do one take of his face in each location because you can just redub him or put whatever you want. As long as it's a long enough shot, you can just, uh, yeah, it's such a blank expression that you don't really have to do takes on it. That does sound immensely helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, talking about the the blank expression, I know that like since even the 2017 short, one of the things is that people have a lot of different kind of 
interpretations or feelings about what's going on with Charles, the robot. And I wonder from all your conversations with folks, whether it be press or just people who've seen the film, what are some of like the most interesting kind of projections that you've heard of people like Charles yeah. is this? Yeah, I mean, like, I quite like, sort of, I mean, the, the, obviously the obvious one is sort of like the parent-child thing. Yeah. But like, uh, and then there's sort of levels of people who've got their dogs and stuff like that. And, but I sure. guess there's some of the more of the existential ones about kind of death and stuff like that. Like, as in people have had that sort of interpretation of, you know, of this, letting someone go in, met metaphorically, if you know what I mean, rather than sort of, uh, rather than a child growing up, it's like the sort of, um, a person leaving this mortal coil, but mm. <laughs> I mean, hey, each to their own. I, I, like that's what I, that's what I like about Charles is that he is he is a little bit of an allegory for a lot of things. It looked like the design of him maybe changed, or just the parts a little bit from short to feature. What changed there? Definitely. I mean, like we um, we needed more heads. That was the main thing, I was, and so we needed different versions for certain different scenes. And for that, like when we bought, I, I was so scared we were going to lose. We weren't going to find the same head that we had from the short. And I've luckily found six on eBay, but they're like a little bit more tanned. So it looks like he's had a bit of sun. Uh, <laughs> and, then it was just, and then it was just about like, kind of just, now we had a sort of 90 page script with like, like explaining the building of Charles. We're like, well, we now have to make that work. So there were things in there. And then like his eye was like, just a bit of rolled up tape. So we had to make that better. But uh, yeah, it was, and I guess also you've got, you're making a film, you've got a budget now. So maybe just make it look a little more Hollywood, I guess. Sure. Charles has gone Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, so when you say you ordered six on eBay, this is like just a specific kind of mannequin head that exists out in the world that you guys found? Yeah. So like, I mean, to get really specific about it, I just reverse image searched Charles's face and then like, found another head and then like then found the image of that specific mannequin head that's from like china or somewhere okay and like and then like just try to reverse image search that picture and find it somewhere because like i didn't want to the, the the main head was so kind of like mangled now we just needed yeah ones but yeah it was it was tricky and sort of worrying i was like thinking we were gonna have to just literally make one from scratch sure um, but in the end we didn't have to that's good. That's good. Um, you know, one of a, a lot obviously changed. I I could see between the the short and the feature, um, but like the one thing that seemed to really rise to the fore uh, as kind of like a driving narrative force is this idea of of Charles outgrowing Brian or outgrowing his creator by virtue of this like world that he's exposed to. I, I know obviously David and Chris wrote the script, but but why do you think that idea became kind of central to the movie? Um, yeah, I mean, it sort of, it really came quite late on that idea. We were, we had the sort of rough structure of uh, of what we wanted and how we wanted the sort of the, the the final act to work, but there was a little something missing with their arc and their journey. And it wasn't until like David kind of cracked it and was just like, "Oh, it's it's me and my kid." It's like he has a sort of son who's sort of grown up and like his teenager and now has left home. And so right. that kind of influenced those, like, like the scenes at the lake where, like, Charles is hanging back and, <laughs> like, and then, because, like, David's, like, you know, w with his sort of new wife, with his old, his kid from another marriage, it was just like, it yeah. was like, I was like, oh, that's that scene. And then, 
yeah and then you know playing the music upstairs in the bedroom all those kind of things like it just started to like just give it like a sort of really sort of, um understandable arc yeah. right those most of my favorite lines tended to come from from that yeah. dynamic personally especially when i think he says do you want to I, I think brian is asking charles do you want to go to the lake and charles is like who with who's <laughs> who's all going to be there <laughs> yeah yeah Which awesome. i love that too yeah and I, I read too that like one of your favorite lines is as charles is kind of interrogating the world is um when he asks, can birds do what they like um why does that why did that line stick with you or get you i don't know because it's just like such a it's i love brian's reaction to that line like i love that he's just like he, he sort of looks at camera but he's also just like i don't he's it's almost like he's never thought it you know when like kids sometimes ask those questions you're like wow, that's actually like you're thinking of this world on a totally different level. Right. Do animals have free will and whatnot? Yeah, exactly. It's almost profound. It's like, can they do what they like? Are they beholden to like sort of these sort of instincts that they have to do something? So it's like, he's like, yeah, I guess so, but maybe not. It's just, yeah, I think that's those kind of things where we're sort of pointing out stuff that we've just, you never really think about, always make me laugh. But really it's kind of Brian's look to camera right afterwards, where it's like, sure, really gets me. I read too that uh, one of your big takeaways from from making the film was just kind of how much could be shaped in the edit afterward. And I I wonder, um, you said something like there's like a took a lot of different versions to kind of find this one, and that led me to wonder: does, does that mean that you guys did you film like versions with like several different tones, or like any that went more back to kind of like the stage version, or what did you mean by that? Yeah, I guess, no, well, I guess there's always tones like how I sort of shoot things. I always like to get like slightly different versions of scenes. Like, you know, I think like, like all directors, you're sort of trying to find what feels right. So that there is sort of darker tones within scenes. But I think what I really meant by that was just like, there was like entire big sequences that we've cut, like that sort of, you know, there's a bit, Hazel and her mom have a big argument. There's this whole scene when we meet Eddie for the first time. There's this big monologue from Brian where he's talking about, his relationship with Eddie over the years and oh. things like that, where we just kind of like, they just either just slowed down or like felt tacked on or felt like unwelcome in the story. Mm. And it was to sort of, to cut those moments was kind of like, we just never thought we'd cut these things. These are like, it's like tent poles of the script along the way. But when we did, we like kind of like released ourselves and realized, oh, you don't need this stuff. Like if you're looking at it properly, you should be able to see backstory between characters without having to like tell them without having to like explain to the camera exactly what's going on and and also just like I mean there's a scene where Charles died like for the 10 minutes halfway through and it just kind of like distracted from the real narrative of like where they're going and the sort of the sort of the main kind of challenge that happens later on so yeah and then also just like structure wise it's fascinating how like moving one scene that like just a, a scene with Brian and Charles that is next to another scene with Brian and Charles. But if you swap them around, somehow that now influences the decisions in the, in the other scene differently. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of just playing with that. And it's just, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's my first feature. So playing with something with that length was really exciting. And, and in that documentary format, you can move stuff around more because documentaries do just like film stuff. And then you've got your, you've got your story your like script is in your rushes and then you can just pick and choose and make your, make your film. Yeah. Yeah. Regarding the, the form a little bit, um, 
I'm not going to spoil the movie, but like later down the line, there there's this moment where where Brian seems like he could really um, use some help with this critical <laughs> with this critical problem. But you've done such a job of establishing that, like in the Welsh countryside, like he's kind of alone out here. Like there is nobody who is coming to coming to rescue him in this issue that he's having um, with Eddie. And I wondered if that was that part of the decision to do the documentary style you could really ramp up the kind of natural isolation of it yeah totally i mean especially in the first 10 minutes it's like a really important thing that like brian is brian is alone but is sort of um but can voice his loneliness and can also present this facade to camera that he's fine but Mm -hmm. and, and then you can sort of read between the lines and then also from like just a completely technical point of view and like cinematic point of view i was just interested in like updating the mockumentary and being like let's make one that is more like these modern docs or or like film docs rather than i feel lots of like those mockumentary films often like they often go down the path from the tv like the old tv side or like you know the office and spinal tap is you know like a masterpiece but like that's how they were made then right now i want to reflect how they're made now and also just like that thing of like you're right about crew not getting involved like there are just so many docs that do kind of they just bleed into the wallpaper and they watch these kind of like, you know, big, like sort of emotional moments, but uh, the characters just almost just stop interacting with the camera and just like, it becomes part of their, their world. Like a, the, a big influence was American movie, which um, has mm-hmm. those kind of like, has that kind of tone. Yeah. Did I also read though, that you were kind of, you guys were in maybe just in terms of like capturing like a rural character you were influenced by some older docs like 70s and 80s tv stuff yeah so that i mean that's even a better a better example of like how much people because it was like a new thing we looked at these like 80s kind of um uh docs about the Brit- a british council estate i think it's called the estate it's on youtube and there's some really kind of harrowing moments like uh, which we sort of took influence for Eddie. There's this bit with this drunk guys like breaking down this door and he has it out with this guy. And mm. the camera is just there, like in the corner. But that no one references the camera. It's almost like because it, people weren't aware of that, of documentaries as much then, or like they just don't feel that they need to reference that guy in the corner of the room holding whatever it is, some 16 mil camera that's whirring away. Interesting. But, yeah. Do you feel like that would be different now or at, at the time? I think it There's definitely just... would be. I think it would be different now. Like, but I think, like examples of those docs even made now. Once people are aware of the sort of what's happening, so even when like when with the camera, we always like have someone look at it first and reference it, reference it. So, like the first, well, the first meeting for Hayes is from a long way away, so she doesn't see it. But like, like Eddie always looks at it. Or like they notice it from a distance, and mm-hmm. Hazel looks down the lens when it when, when it really comes into the into the room, and she's sort of a little taken back by it. So we always wanted to do that, but without kind of boring the audience with you know constant references to it. Because I've I've watched mockumentaries where I'm just like, oh, I can't, I don't care. Like I don't care that they stop telling me that you're making a documentary. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But, well, yeah. it's like become such an accepted film grammar too sometimes i'm i'm not always sure why people chose the style to do the thing that they're doing yeah yeah i i yeah i agree there's there's yeah it's almost and also just like doesn't necessarily stick to the right logic of it we Mm. always were like if something is happening it's a surprise to the crew as well as the person on screen 
Random question. Where does the name Petrescu, Charles's last name, where does that come from? I think it's completely random. Like, I think it comes from the radio because they initially did this sort of like phone in radio show where that, that was the first incantation of Charles's voice. And I, th- I think Rupert just made it up. I mean, if you look at for the film, yeah, uh, there is like a little like Easter egg of one of the books on the shelf is by an author called someone Petrescu. Gotcha. But, uh, but yeah, it's I, we just find it funny that he just has picked a very sort of non sequitur kind of name. It does. It sounds very classy, but from indistinct origins. I couldn't tell yeah. you where someone like, named Petrescu was from. Like Romania or something? Like Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you this. So beyond the film, do you have other favorite movies that are kind of like riffs on like the Pinocchio or the Pygmalion, Pygmalion story? Do you have other like favorite kind of inventor and creation movies? It's a good question. I didn't like, I mean, I guess Wallace and Gromit is probably up there. Yeah. This has like a live action Ardman quality to it with like the kind of the pastoral morality and the vegetable obsession and uh, the, the gadgets. I love that. Yeah. That's definitely like, I mean, yeah, a, a live action Armen is a great way to describe it. We all, we also saw of it as like a live action Pixar in ways, like you know, where you can, like, we create these kind of relationships and these characters, but um, we don't want to like, we don't want to over explain stuff. We don't want to like, we want to sort of like, you know, uh, keep it kind of simple, but like, you know, with these sort of layers of offbeat comedy and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, uh, Wallace and Gromit was an influence for sure. And yeah, I think we didn't really watch many things about sort of weird inventors because it almost felt too close to the film. I didn't want to yeah. be influenced by something that is that close to it. But yeah. Um, when you talk back about the the pre-film versions of Brian and Charles, when it was just David and Chris kind of doing it as a, as a mm-hmm. routine, um, how different was their relationship in some of the early incantations? Oh, like totally. I mean, like, it's not even like a relationship, really. It's just like a sort of, it's an anarchic live comedy act where like, it's like almost totally improvised. Like, like, Brian is a different character. Charles is a different character. Charles would almost depended on how like drunk Rupert was at the back of stage typing, like with <laughs> what Charles would say. And then sure. Brian is just like riffing off that. Like, when we made the short, it was like, we just took the look and the feel of, not even the feel, like the look of those characters and their voices and then just transported them somewhere else and like gave them a completely new. Brian is so much softer and kinder and so is Charles than whatever was happening on stage. Tell me just a little bit too about, do you have any attachment to any other films that were like made in Wales? Like it's it's an interesting cinematic legacy or lack thereof. Yeah, uh, I no, like I mean, we chose Wales just because it like, you know, it represented, it was a great sort of beautiful landscape that sort of represented the sort of isolation and the sort of loneliness of Brian. And it was just a beautiful place to go. I mean, the reason we went there initially was just for the shorts because that's where we found the Airbnb. Right. But yeah, I can't really think of like, not off the top of my head, what are some sort of classic kind of bucolic Welsh films? Um, uh, there's a film called Gwen we looked at because that was filmed in a very similar area to us. It's very nice. small small feature 
but yeah. My only real reference point was when Anthony Hopkins accepted his Oscar on Twitter or like in a video a few years ago and was just like, thank you all for giving this to me. Here's where I'm standing. I was like, this is like a sunlit version of where Brian and Charles live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a, we did have a bit of sun when we did, we did some pickup days like four months after we shot to like, it's just to explain some story points that we'd sort of changed in the edit. And it was beautifully sunny then. And it was and like really added this actual nice warmth within the kind of, you know, bleakness well jim that's about all i have for you sir but uh, congrats on the film and thanks for the time thanks so much chance it's been great there's a big old world out there the big perilous world <laughs> oh my gosh okay. what was that okay. perilous i want to sit in the front right no you're not sitting in the front you're sitting in the back i will sit in the front you'll sit in the back front